crazy, right? Yeah, I never thought we'd still be here either. Thought we were goners. But here we are, still alive. But that's not the crazy part. The crazy part is we were saved by him, the enemy. Hello, friend. One we've been after this whole time. Question is, what's the angle? What's the cost? Because one thing we know by now, it ain't free. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. Maybe I should give you a name. What I'm about to tell you is top secret. The Coffee Clash Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, Mr. Robot Episode Review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And this week, we try to defrag Episode 402, Payment Required. Elliot and Darlene come together. Dom gets Dark Army vibes. Price has answers. IMDb is giving this a 9.0 and Rotten Tomatoes a 100%. You got to keep it 100, Jay. Keep it 100. The New York Times is saying... Adding additional layers to an already complicated plot is tricky business, of course, but the mysteries are so intriguing and Esmail's command of his craft so sure that the investment seems sound. I agree with that. He is adding additional layers, but he's doing it this season in a way that is less convoluted, if that's the right (laughs) word. Yeah. And maybe that's not even the right word because I don't mean it was bad last year. But it was really difficult to keep up with. It was overly complicated at times. This keeps the fun in it. Absolutely. And I really enjoyed this. Episode two did have a different feel from episode one that I wasn't as crazy about. I was a little frustrated that they left off the last episode with the scene where Elliot gets the overdose, Price brings him back. And even though our first scene in this episode is this extensive info dump Mm. from Price himself, they still didn't really answer the question about why that happened. I'm with you on that. I did feel like it was under-delivered when we're talking specifics about the end of the episode. But the more I think about it, I think Esmel gave us that delivery at the end of the episode. So instead of hanging it where he might still be dead, he showed us in the end of the first episode, Elliot getting the Narcan and seeing Price. Um, But but, why did he do that? Yes, that's a good question. You know, during one scene in here, Mr. Robot even says, why did the enemy keep us alive? Why did he OD us in the first place? That question's never even asked. I know some people also had a problem with this exposition scene from Price. I was actually really happy for it because I've been dying for some additional information. We are in our final season. They still don't give away the big reveals. What exactly is this major project that was the entire goal of Deus Group? And we're going to talk about that scene in a moment. But the big mystery is still kept alive, as well as this huge mystery that we've been after for four seasons now about what's going on in Elliot's psyche. If these are, in fact, alters, who is the other one? We're going to dive into that in a few moments. I really liked that becoming the central focus, and I hope it's not a red herring that's throwing us off track. I've said for a while now that I want this thing that's going on in Elliot's mind to be kind of the crux of things. Mm. So Opens a world for us, and a, a world of understanding better, him at least. Yeah, he's the main focus. Yeah. It would make a lot of sense, and I don't see that as being really an additional layer. I think that was there all along, just like Esmail saying. We just don't know who exactly that facet of Elliot is. Yeah. 
I also appreciated the episodes between him and Darlene. We spoke last time conjecturing if Darlene was going to kind of be down and out for the remainder of the season. Yeah, and we were like, how is she going to get her shit together within the three-day time frame that we think this show is going to take place in? Well, she got her shit together real quick. She did, and I'm not complaining. I would rather see her and Elliot working together on this project. At first, I was a little like, ooh, this is a little quick. But I think she got her shit together because she has a goal now. And we know, if you ever lose someone, then you have like a goal in life or you, you focus more on work or something. It kind of helps. I think this goal and the intensity of it is going to help drive her. Absolutely. And Elliot needs somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. Almost all the rest of F Society is gone. He's going up against the most formidable enemy. He cannot do this alone. Not at all. You know, one of the main themes this episode, but also episode one, Elliot's compartmentalizing. I think that's a big thing that we have to pay attention to. But I wanted to say this because oftentimes when I have a thought throughout the day and I'm like, no, that's not, that's probably nothing. A lot of times it comes true and I'm like, why didn't I at least say it on the microphone? So I actually don't think this is true or has anything to do with anything. But at work today, one of my main jobs is web development. And I was creating a robot dot txt file and just in my head i was like robot what if that has to do with any probably not but i want to throw it out there one of the main functions with with robot there's many functions but with robot dot txt files is to let the world let google bing all of them know what we want them to ignore so if we had coffeeclatchcrew.com forward slash secret files forward slash index dot html I would put in my robot.txt file, disallow, colon, forward slash, secret files, forward slash. And that, what that means is do not allow the bots, do not allow Google bots, Bing bots, to go into anywhere in that section, anywhere in that folder or directory. It just reminded me of the ability to compartmentalize things of that nature. Probably means nothing, but I wanted to throw it out there. Well, before we dive deeper into our theorizing, let's go over some background. We have the origin of our title, 402 is payment required. We talked about the HTTP codes during our last episode. However, this one was indicated as reserved for future use. The original intention was that the code might be used as part of some form of digital cash or micropayment scheme, but it hasn't happened yet. As far as the relation to the episode, I think the straight read would have to do with the safe deposit box that Darlene very much wants to figure out what are the contents that their mother left behind. However, the payments weren't made, so supposedly the contents were disposed of. Oh, okay. I see that. I think more of a less obvious and maybe wrong thought would be that reserved for future use, maybe it's his third personality that he reserves and doesn't bring out often enough to the point where he forgets about him. But it's got something to do with the payment that's not being made. Mm. <clears throat> True, I wasn't Which, thinking about the payment. If you want to go metaphorical, Mr. Robot says something along the lines later on in the episode. The payment is too high. Mm. The emotional toll this is taking and Elliot's not facing it yet. Yeah. The death that he's dealing with. That's definitely going to be an issue for their psyche. Like you said, the compartmentalizing, the splitting off. He put Angela in the disallow. Mm. code in the robot.txt. Absolutely. We also had some very interesting music notes this time. First up were a couple of songs, including Cloudscape and Vessels by Philip Glass. 
They play prominently during the opening sequence when Price is narrating the story for us. What's interesting about that, these songs by Philip Glass are from the movie Koyanis Katsi. I am probably butchering that, but it was a 1983 documentary. The title draws from the Hopi word meaning life out of balance, which is a cool play. As Price later tells White Rose, you're a little imbalanced. Mm. He's talking about the tree, but it's more than that, right? The film revealed how humanity had grown apart from nature. It featured extensive footage of natural landscapes and elemental forces that gave way to scenes of modern civilization and technology. The creator said these films have never been about the effect of technology, of industry on people, it's been that everyone, politics, education, financial structure, the national state structure, language, culture, religion, all of that exists within the host of technology. It's not the effect of it, it's that everything exists within it, meaning within technology. We don't use it, we live technology. It's become as ubiquitous as the air we breathe. We often wonder how intentional are these nods Sam Asmail is making? That has to be directly meaningful. We're talking about, throughout this entire show, the increasing effect that technology has on us. But <laughs> this creator is saying, well, that's not exactly it. The whole world lives inside of it. What if that has something to do with the machine that White Rose is building? We know now from the opening scenes that Price tells us, the secondary goal that Minister Zhang came up with was the internet. Yes in order to get control of people by having them voluntarily connect with each other and offer up information. What if that could somehow be taken a step further? A new world, virtual reality. Right. And that Mm. is a sci-fi kind of concept. But why would you need to hide that in the Congo if it's just a super server? I don't know. But it's not as out there as time travel. It is something we had considered. I have another thought on that. And last year was a big year of hypothesizing what this machine could be. And we've said it all. But in episode one, I noticed when Elliot was in All Safe, everything's in disarray. And the sign behind it said, Al Safe. And I was like, Al Safe, Al Safe. Remember? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it probably doesn't mean anything. Al, what would that mean? But then I saw someone mention it online and it clicked for me. What if it's not a capital L? It's an I. And it's AI. And Sam is just giving us a little wink, wink. And what if this machine that White Rose is dealing with is a super artificial intelligence that can basically predict everything, predict what the people are going to do, give them algorithms. If you do this, you can get your people, you can get the masses to do this, which is what you want them to do. You know, if you put this forth, you can definitely guarantee the masses will vote for this person, you know, things like that. How does that play in, though, with Elliot and the multiple personalities? That's a good question. You know, I don't see how that can mesh together, whereas if we're talking about some sort of Black Mirror episode, our bodies really are somewhere but just sitting on a couch hooked up to this virtual reality that we're playing out in day-to-day life. Which we love to discuss in our Patreon. Now, regardless of all of that, even if this is just a story that's occurring in the real world and Elliot so suffers from dissociative identity disorder, we still have the huge mystery given to us at the end of the episode that I think we should address first. Yeah. We're not going to be able to save this for the end because it's what's on everyone's mind. Who is the other one? So I think it was last year, maybe season two, you and I started discussing and it started off as a joke. But when we started breaking down the psychology of what Elliot has, 
and you being a psychologist, what stuck out to us is the fact that many times, or more often than not, there's more than one other personality. Oh, yeah. There is usually never just two, and that doesn't even really meet accurately for the diagnosis of dissociative identity disorder. Let me give you some of the stats on that. This is what used to be called multiple personality disorder. It occurs in either a half to 2% of the population. So it's still pretty rare. It's more common in females than males because they experience a higher rate of childhood abuse, 10 to 1, as opposed to males. And of course, we've talked about trauma being a component, main component that causes this, usually an event that occurs at less than nine years of age. The earlier the age of abuse predicts a greater degree of dissociation later on. The average number of personalities is between two to four upon initial diagnosis. But over the entire course of treatment, it's usually eight to 15. So those other facets really just haven't emerged yet. You are Mm. uncovering them as you go along. There have been some cases where over 100 personalities are reported, but that's not the norm. Does it have to be physical abuse? No, any kind of intense and repeated chronic abuse or trauma. So could this be something that will grow exponentially uh, in the years to come because of how young these kids are being exposed potentially to social abuse with the internet? You know, like I was bullied when I was a kid, but I go home and I'm with my friends and family. I I have a reprieve from it. But these kids, they go home and then they go on their Instagram and their Facebooks. They probably don't use Facebook. Instagram and their TikToks and they can still get bullied. Would that be something? Situations like that would definitely make it worse. They're not usually going to be a severe enough trauma to form as serious of mm-hmm. a disorder as this. You are talking about an event that impacts all facets of who somebody is. Mm emotional, physical, psychological, the trauma is so extreme that the child doesn't know how to process it and yet can't get away from it. It's usually at the hands of someone who is supposed to be a caretaker or a safe person. Okay. So it it messes with their whole concept of identity and thus that's part of why this begins to happen and why it can be so intense at a young age because development really isn't complete at all. Right. So let me give you some, I guess we're going to call it facts about the way this works. It is still an area that has a great deal of controversy attached to it. How much of this is real? Can it be therapist induced? But there's a lot of reported cases and better literature out there on the research. To start out with, you have a personality. This is an entity with a firm, persistent, and well-founded sense of self, consistent patterns of behavior and feelings in response to a stimuli. You generally are going to act, respond, feel the same way across a nature of different events. When you experience this trauma, though, the psyche begins to fracture. As we stated last time, it's not as though there really are multiple personalities living within you. That's why they changed the title. All these different parts of who you are inside of your brain have split off in an effort to defend you against this trauma. And they kind of get compartmentalized, boxed into these little areas. You usually will have the birth person or the original personality, whoever was born into the body, that tends to be the core personality. Not always, but usually. The core personality is believed to be fragile, distant, often kept away or asleep, as it's called, and is thus usually one of the last personalities to be discovered in treatment. So while this movie is nowhere near factual, I hate bringing it up because it has so many problems with it related to dissociative identity disorder, but it's a good example here. In the movie Split and Glass, when we get to meet Kevin Wendell Crumb, 
the birth original personality, he hardly ever comes out, right? He's being pushed out of the light, so to speak, most of the time. Then you have the host personality, which is more present, usually in control, deals with daily functioning, and the system the other alters as a whole can interact with other personalities. If we look at this situation, it would be Elliot. A lot of times the host is passive, guilt-ridden, depressed, exhausted, masochistic. Mm. So that's number one, your host. Then some common types of alters. And I don't mean to make it seem like these are all the personalities there are. Every case is different. But a lot of what you will see frequently. Number two, the scared, hurt child. It's one of the most common types and more easily discovered in therapy. So where you were saying last episode, what if we had the child Elliot in there somewhere? That is possible. Number three, you have the protector or rescuer. The altar that's created to help the person escape intolerable situations. They're usually tougher or braver. Number four, the helper, a rational and objective commentator or advisor. So I think number three and number four could be melded, and that's our Mr. Robot character in this universe. He's the protector and the helper. Number five, you have the internal persecutor. This altar is representative of the abuser. So whoever has put this child through that, they have a personality that kind of represents them. They often blame one or more of the other altars for the abuse that they endured. It's a very negative personality. And number six, the Avenger. They hold the rage from the abuse. When we talk about why the personality starts to split off in the first place, they've created a piece of this psyche who holds the abuse so that the others don't have to. So, of course, this is going to be a very unstable type of personality, and they're constantly seeking retribution against their abuser. They might express anger, for the entire system, and so can be very, very hostile. Again, bad example because it's hardly even human in the movie Split, but the character of the Beast, who is strong and angry and able to come out and exact revenge on others. What's scary to me is what if the other one is a personality like that? And that's why they're scared of it. And that's why they try to... push it away a little bit. So if we look at those options, the other one could either be the scared child, the internal persecutor, the figure of abuse, or the Avenger, most likely. It could be something else, but those are sort of our three options. Okay. Let's lay on the table what we've been saying for a few years now. One was it could possibly be us. And that kind of started as a joke because I was infatuated with the fact that they kept talking to us. and We were important. But I was like, well, what if, what if we are that person? And he's talking, it looks like, to us visually, but he's talking internally to us in that part of the brain. The only way I see that being true is if we are the core personality. Because how could it be us, the viewer, when we're not really capable of doing anything except watching? Well, if we were this original personality that's kept asleep most of the time or in the background, mm-hmm. hardly ever comes out, is one of the last to be discovered. But then why would they be scared of us? I don't think that's the case. Okay. In that instance, you would have us. We're not really an alter okay. in that scenario. We are the core personality. We haven't split. The other alter is the other one, the scary one. So we, the friend behind the camera, are not the same as the other one in that scenario. Then another thought, especially based on that scene. Should we break down that scene while we're talking about this? Yeah, sure, because it's really important to note When Magda says they're not ready yet, they need to wait for him. The boy, 
who, by the way, a lot of people are assuming is young Elliot, that's never told to us. She doesn't refer to him as Elliot, as son. And he doesn't refer to her as mom. And we watched it so many times to see if we could pick up anything. Additionally, the boy says, you mean Mr. Robot? And she shakes her head. Elliot? She shakes her head. If this boy was Elliot, why would he be saying, oh, the other person that's coming in, is that Elliot? Right. Unless he's actively in the form of a different altar at that time, it would be weird for him to say that. And we don't necessarily know it's only three. Absolutely not. People are taking this from the fact that there are four chairs at the table. Yeah. The young boy sitting at one and three others are open. If you look at that as being the number of personalities, you would have Elliot, Mr. Robot, and the other one. With the kid perhaps being the core personality. And we do know this setting. This was one of the offices, the bank offices, in season two? It's the E-Corp building. Yeah. That Tyrell first offers Elliot a job in that room. That's right. With the same skyline in the background, which has led a lot of people to talking about the possibility again of the other one being Tyrell. I don't like it. We've talked about that a lot. We eliminated Tyrell and Darlene as options because they seem to be separate people that are recognized and noticed in this universe. Don't forget, an altar just lives inside this person. They can't be somebody separate. So it doesn't feel as if either of those two could be. And she said, that's not your seat. And we know that that seat was for the boss in that room. So I'm I'm assuming that the person they're waiting for and she says him, so it's a, a man, mm-hmm. is in charge. It would seem that way, or at least that they defer to or fear this person. Mm-hmm. And then something you noticed on the internet, and I'll be frank, I didn't notice in the beginning, the cityscape is the Freedom Tower, mm. which means this didn't happen, this specific scene did not actually happen in real life back in the day. When Elliot was a child. It can only be 2015 or later. So either we're playing with time travel, or this is all happening in Elliot's mind, and thus, is anything predictable, really? No. How do we break that down? (laughs) You could go as far as saying, the other one isn't another personality. The little boy thinks of it that way. Oh, That's why he's questioning it. But she's just like, no, 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 the other one, the person Mm. in charge, White Rose, whoever it is, hasn't come yet. That's another possibility for sure. I think the big question is, who is that boy? That is a good question. Why aren't we talking about who is that boy? So let's take another step back. One of the other main through lines of this episode was the safe (laughs) deposit box. Yes. Not enough talk about this. I think a lot hinges on that. This isn't throwaway. There was something important in that box. Darlene makes a joke of saying, What's in the box? What if it's your adoption papers? Um, We've speculated at that in passing a long time ago. What if Elliot was adopted? Maybe even Elliot and Darlene, but we don't have to go there yet. If he is not the biological son of Magda, could that little boy sitting in the room be her actual biological son? Did she agree to some type of experiment that created these altars in him. Oh, so you're going back to experiment, huh? Because that would tie in White Rose. Yeah. Maybe she didn't know how far this was going to go. Maybe there was intended personalities for some reason. 
And they knew that. They knew that those personalities were going to include Elliot and Mr. Robot. I don't know how the hell you would do that. Yeah. But if we're talking about some type of brain manipulation, that would be a huge weapon in White Rose's favor. But that's assuming that that scene actually happened. Mm-hmm. Going back to the buildings, I'm assuming this is in his brain. We see this scene right when he starts to realize, then if it wasn't you and it wasn't me, who could it have been? But if it's in Elliot's brain... He knows something about it, especially if that little boy isn't him. How would he know this? And let me go really weird here, okay? (laughs) And we talked about this briefly, too. If Elliot is a robot, Mm -hmm. that noise, and we know Sam doesn't do anything just for laughs, that industrial noise, and then you're like, oh, it's just the kid circling in the... Swiveling. But maybe it's... Elliot's brain, you know, Elliot's brain going like... Machine whirring. There's so many ways this could go, but we're getting really out there. (laughs) Let's come back to, I do think regardless of whatever's going on here, there is another personality we haven't met yet, at least one, inside of Elliot, and it's going to start to become an issue. The reason I believe that is later on in the episode, and we'll break it down more fully, when Elliot comes to realize... Darlene told somebody about Vera being there, but it wasn't him and it wasn't Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot seems like he already knew. He already knew there's someone else. Oh, you saw that. If you go back and watch Christian Slater's acting again, he's looking very nervously at Elliot as he's starting to piece this together. There's no shock or surprise or he's not doing what Elliot's doing. Well, what do you mean? Who then? Who did she tell? Hmm. He's just looking at him like, oh, shit. (laughs) Now, it is common for certain alters to not be aware of the others, while some of them can be. So it's possible that Elliot usually is only aware of Mr. Robot, but Mr. Robot knows there's others inside of there, and he's met them. uh, Yeah, it's possible. Um, Another thing to keep in mind is that if it is us, and if we are more important than we think, Mr. Robot hates us. To the point where there was a funny part. What is that about? Where he says, fuck you to us. I don't give a shit about you. If we're the core personality, it's kind of weird that he has such hatred for us. Unless it's because we're so weak. We are too fragile. He is the strong protector who needs to constantly step in and save Elliot. Maybe that's why the mom needed to wait for that person to come out. So that wherever they are... And maybe it's being personified as that building, but maybe it's something that did happen in the past. Wherever they are, they need the weakest person to come out so that they can psychologically dig in or something. Well, yeah, that person has control of the whole system and nobody else does. So even though they're not there very often, if you go back to that movie Glass, they needed Kevin to come back out in order to try to accomplish something. If you are going to aim for integrating personalities in therapy, Mm. you have to talk to that core personality. And it can be very difficult to get that done. Yeah, that's that's, uh, code number four, integration. (laughs) Well, Christina, we just went over about 100 possibilities. So, Clatchers, go back and listen to those again. we got to be right on one of them, right? We've talked about everything. (laughs) We've briefly played around with the idea of Angela, though we don't think that's likely. I just want to put it out there because a lot of people are talking about it. The possibility that it's not a third person, it's someone else. Someone in charge. The only thing we haven't touched on that is out there in the speculation is that it's Sam Esmail himself. I don't like it. Right. We haven't talked about it, not because we haven't considered it, but I think it's 
way too meta, especially if you have Sam, the creator, and the audience being characters inside of Elliot. I think it's too difficult to pull that off effectively. And especially if you're saving that for the last couple of episodes, Mm. I just don't think that'd be the direction he's going in. I won't completely take it off the table. So there it is. And one last thing to keep in mind is that Sam has been quoted saying that we have met who this person could be. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. And he was very careful who this person could be. Mm -hmm. So that could be an actual different person or a person inside of Elliot. For those of you who are frustrated thinking, I don't want any more theorizing, (laughs) just get to the episode. We're going to go over our synopsis now. We open up with this big exposition scene we talked about. First, we see the colored bars across the screen, like with old school televisions when there's some kind of programming error. Can I give you something stupid? That reminded me of a Cheech and Chong skit. I think they were very stoned. And um, I forget, I listened to this long ago with my dad. And they were so stoned, that screen was up for hours. And they thought they were watching a Cowboys and Indians show, I think. Okay. Oh, man, we're watching a Cowboys and Indians show or something like that. It was funny. (laughs) It just reminded me of that. But then it goes to kind of boxing out the sides of the screen so it does look like an old school TV playing this story. Price narrating in the background saying the year was 1989. All the money, power, natural resources in the world, even borders were negotiable. With the collapse of the Soviet Union, a young imaginative Minister Zhang saw opportunity for a new world order and formed an investment group called Deus. Their goal was to bring together the world's most powerful men, business, financial, and political leaders, to consolidate control and manipulate events for profit. Their first endeavor was during the first Gulf War, when they got rich on oil and acquired a foothold in the military-industrial sector. A success, they were now running the world and had a network of hackers and terrorists in place. Seeing that industrial espionage was old news, Zhang came up with a better way to control people. The internet. The U.S. was their test case, and without hesitation, everyone jumped online and offered all their information. Banking, health, social. E-Corp then became the world's biggest front, a way for the Deus group to manipulate the public. Zhang had been perfectly positioning himself to take control. He had manipulated everyone, including those who worked for him. He clandestinely built his machine under the guise of the Washington Township plant. His pet project, which they belittled for years, had actually been the singular purpose of the Deus group all along. Just right off the bat, it's important to talk about the fact that Deus is the Latin word for God. Ooh. And one of the main storylines with Sam and Mr. Roba is the commentary on technology and how it is controlling us and manipulating us. And if somehow this is all existing inside of a machine, a very common trope that's utilized and talked about a lot in TV nowadays is deus ex machina (laughs) or God inside the machine. So there's just a lot of things that that brings up there. Kind of weird that this group is called that. Why? Because it's supposed to be very low key and flying under the radar and it's Well, no one knew about it. They call themselves it. Very self-serving, self-important. You think nobody else knows this group exists? Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates. (laughs) They do, but not us. Okay. What did you think about that? It was a huge information dump, but you know what? I think it was time for that. I was happy to get it as the viewer. I think we needed it, but I don't know why Price told Elliot all of that in universe. Because he's given up. He's done with it. 
It's exactly what we predicted. Why stop short of what the machine is then? The very thing that Elliot's being mm, orchestrated this hack to move it. Why not tell them? It's the whole That's a good purpose point. of this. I don't think he knows. He must at least have a cover story because White Rose is telling everybody important that he's trying to recruit Angela, who's lost in this vision, this this goal. She's talking to Price about it before her death. Mm. Unless he knows and he just doesn't buy it, it still falls short That's of why question. he doesn't tell Elliot. I think it's another thing to note, and this is a complete guess. I don't think this was originally the plan for Sam Asmel to info dump this. Nope. I think this is his original season four information that we would have learned. Mm-hmm. But since he truncated two seasons into one, boom, here it is, but in a creative way. I agree. And I think that the Elliot OD scene would have been the cliffhanger from the last season. Season, ooh, I like Not that. Not knowing if he's dead or not. I like that, Chris. Another thing that I liked about it, and the Weasley on Twitter, one of our clatchers, thought the exact same thing, is it reminded me of Forrest Gump. That's the first time I personally saw something like this, where we saw Forrest Gump shake President's hands. Oh, okay. They superimposed it. Yep. So Price moves on from this information to tell Elliot he should consider himself lucky. He was the one alerted about entering the honeypot. It's his job to dispose of intruders. And Elliot starts to tell Price his plan. If he can rob the Deus group, White Rose loses everything. Well, Price thinks it's impenetrable. There's no way. She designed it on purpose like that. Elliot's telling him he thinks they can do it together. After all, E-Corp is a front and Price is still the CEO. But what they need is a real contact at the bank who can get them their numbers. Price says that was Susan Jacobs, E-Corp general counsel, the one Darlene killed. That was the designated contact for Cypress National Bank. She handled all the transactions. She just needed Price to authenticate. And Elliot thinks he can get around the two-factor authentication thing. The problem is Susan disappeared months ago, and he hasn't received a new contact since then. Christina, I'm curious to see how this pans out. Going back on what we were just saying, I believe that this is Sam taking his ideas and making it work for one season. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping he does it correctly or does it well enough, where we aren't left with, it felt a little too quick. White Rose was so impenetrable to two two episodes from now, she's done for, you know? Yeah, well, the whole idea of with they just need to get the entire dais group in one room, and then somehow Elliot's going to be able to scam enough information off of them being in one place at one time. A, it feels weird that that group would ever be in the same place at the same time. B... That White Rose would submit to that just because Philip says he's leaving and they need to elect a new CEO. Why wouldn't mm. she just have him killed? Uh, he might be an untouchable. The people in the dais might be untouchables. Why? Who's coming after White Rose about that? Or in order to kill one of the people in the dais, again, you need a full vote. Yeah, but they're ostensibly not getting the vote for that. They're getting the vote because Philip is quitting. I'm sure White Rose's plan was to kill him as soon as that happens, but they need the vote on electing who is the next leader. Why the hell would they need somebody that quickly that the group's going to need to be assembled within the next week? It just feels like White Rose would have more control over that, that this wouldn't be the kill switch by Price saying, I'm leaving. Mm. Suddenly she's upended so badly. Seems a little too easy. Right. And, And that's what I'm worried about, if the dominoes will fall. And they will all seem to be a little too easy. The plan is still so insane that Price says you're trying to stop a speeding train by standing in front of it. Even he is telling Elliot, removing me, leaving no CEO, 
even potentially Price's death, because I'm sure he's prepared for that, is still not going to stop this project from going through. You're crazy. Even if he was able to break into the bank and get rid of their finances, it's not going to do anything. The machine's built. It's being moved. What what is he stopping here? I think there's more to Elliot's plan. We don't hear about it yet. He just says to Price, well, make this request. Make the meeting happen sometime within the next eight days. Do whatever you have to do. And he pushes that button by saying, White Rose killed your daughter. Number one. A reminder to us why Price is being this way. Tugging on his heartstrings, Mm -hmm. giving him his motivation for retribution. And number two, of course I knew that Angela was Price's daughter. Because we didn't know if Elliot had that information. And how long did he have it? We Mm -hmm. don't know. And if it was a long time, how come he didn't let Angela know? That's curious. Everything that's been going on with him and Angela prior to her death is very bizarre. The fact Mm. that he's not reacting to her death. Psychologically, something is happening here. There's also moments, last episode and this, that Elliot has acted in a way that felt out of character to me. I mentioned it specifically in the season premiere when Elliot's talking to Mr. Robot about Freddie Lomax's death. Now, he was a terrible guy, but it still seems very unlike Elliot to say, well, he deserved it. He had it coming. They all do. Anybody who's working with White Rose, who's part of the Dark Army, who is a pawn of theirs, does he think Dom has this coming? I mean, it's kind of a bizarre thing for him to say, very callous and uncaring. I'm starting to mark those times a little bit closer, wondering if that's not actually Elliot saying that. Or Mr. Robot. Yeah, and in that event, we know it wasn't Mr. Robot. He was standing right there. Yes. Anyhow, Price leaves the room, and Elliot tells Mr. Robot they need to find out what Susan Jacobs left behind. Before they can pursue this more, he finally answers a call. He's been getting several from Darlene, and she tells him their mother is dead. They go to the facility where she used to live. A worker tells Darlene and Elliot what a wonderful woman their mother was. She's shocked at their uncaring reaction and requests to have all of Magda's possessions donated. While packing the room, Darlene apologizes to Elliot for her recent behavior. She admits to feeling relieved that their mother is gone. Small note to make here, there is a clock featured prominently on the wall behind them. We stared at it. It is stuck at 1116. It's not moving. Now, somebody noted that the second hand is at 37 seconds. When we looked at it, it appeared as though there's two second hands. Yeah. Which is weird. One stopped at the five and one at the seven. And then I started thinking maybe it was seconds or maybe it was the date. So, like, it would say two numbers, meaning, like, the day and the month number. You would have but, different hands for that, though. They both looked like second hands. But even so, regardless, it was frozen. But is that... Does that mean the anything? The lapse in time, the time travel thing, the parallel universes people keep talking about. Anyhow, Elliot finds his old Walkman in a drawer. Darlene wonders why it's there when his mother hated music. We're going to come back to that because I think it's also another point skipped over that could be important. And in a box, she finds a slip to the safe deposit box. We'll break from Darlene and Elliot for a second because we get a couple of Dom scenes. First, she has a meeting with Agent Horton, who is investigating what happened to Santiago. After seeming to emotionally struggle with the decision, and she really plays this up. Dom says he was a double agent. We're wondering if she's going to come clean and say he worked for the Dark Army. To be clear, Agent DePiro, you're accusing your former commanding officer, your FBI mentor, of working as an operative against the Bureau? I'm sorry, Agent Horton. I'm just having a little trouble saying this aloud, knowing it's on the record. And... Can you tell me who Agent Santiago was working with? Mm-hmm. 
Trujillo drug cartel. She's throwing them off the scent. After that, Janice calls Dom and asks if they bought the cover story, and she says she's 99.9% sure they did. However, later when Dom is interviewing McGuire, an Irish mobster who helps disappear criminals so they can live under new names, she gets a text from Janice saying, I'm awfully sorry about your coworker." Oh, our mm. stomach drops. That's when the FBI agent tells her that Horton committed suicide. Yeah, right. And she receives another message saying, 99% isn't good enough. Let's keep it 100. I mean, that was completely unnecessary, right? Just an extreme show of force. Yes, but we've seen this before with Irving. And I think it's to remind us how ruthless these people can be. And it's also to remind us where Dom is at now. And how hard this is going to be for her. We already see that she's very distraught. She's not her normal self. And things are going to get sticky. I'm really curious how Dom's storyline will fold into the main storyline eventually. And I'm kind of intrigued. I know. I kept wondering little things like, is she going to need this McGuire guy later to make one of them disappear? Get off the grid? Now, when it comes to Horton, this was probably a loose end that the Dark Army was going to get rid of either way. Did he hear who? No, no matter what Dom <laughs> did, but also it helps Dom to keep rising higher. I mean, with Santiago gone, she was probably going to be elevated to his role. Could she keep moving up now that Horton's gone? They obviously want somebody as high as they can in the FBI. That they can that control. they can pull the strings. Yes, of course. Also, another thing to note when we see Janice, she is at her other place of business, her taxidermy shop, La Morgerus. And this is when our clatchers really started to pull through for us. They pointed out that this is the name of a book called A Happy Death. Thank you, Kirk. By Albert Camus. And Melly, being the French speaker that we know of, broke that down even further for us. Well, she pointed out the main character in The Happy Death is called Patrice Mersault. Similar to the main character in The Stranger, that's another book by this author, really the more well-known one. Both characters are French clerks working in Algeria during the French colonization. Each of them kills a man for different reasons and does not feel remorse. The story of a happy death is written in the third person while the stranger is written in the first person. So Melly says, it's written in the third person. Does that mean a third identity? One that doesn't feel remorse? I think absolutely. A Happy Death was a 1971 novel and the book is all about the will to happiness the conscious creation of one's happiness, and the need of time and money to do so. It draws on the memories of the author, including his job in Algiers, his suffering from tuberculosis, and his travels in Europe. What's interesting is the book's broken into two parts. Part one is titled A Natural Death, which describes the monotone and empty life of Mersault with his boring job, meaningless relationship. He gets to know this rich man named Zagrus, who shows Mersault a way out. He says, quote, only it takes time to be happy a lot of time. In almost every case, we use up our lives making money when we should be using our money to gain time. Man, doesn't that remind you of all of White Rose's speeches, how she's really tracking time? And I wonder if that's an indicator. Yes, Cyprus National Bank is her heart because that's where the money is. She needs the money in order to gain the project. But what's more important has always been time. time. And let's not forget that scene with all the clocks. I think it was last season. Mm -hmm. The repeated ticking that we get in almost every episode. Especially this season. Something we should point out, and we've been discussing it frequently. Every time there's a pivotal moment, there's either ticking or a clock 
chiming. Last episode, you did point it out uh, when Elliot was going into his madness Mm -hmm. from the drugs. And then we had it twice this episode. Yeah, I don't think what he needs is to hack Cypress Cypress National Bank. He needs to screw with her timeline. That's why the price thing is messing up White Rose so bad. Because this meeting can't happen. She has such a short amount of time before the hack goes through and the project is moved. That's the real contingency here. That's a great point. Let's remember the first time we were ever introduced to White Rose. Remember, it was all about time. And she was looking at her clock and she was like, you have two minutes. Tick, Mm -hmm. tick, tick. Time's up. You know, it was all that stuff. And we were like, wow, she's really, everything is regimented in time. And then we kind of maybe forgot about that part. We have to remember that. That all means something. It's the most important thing to her, whether it's tied into the project or some higher goal. Let me make a wild guess here. Minister Zhang is now. White Rose is from the future. And that's why whenever White Rose is on, it is so about time. It's so about, I have this amount of time. I have this. We got to do this. Let's get it done. And then I'm out. And then we see Zhang doing the more time-consuming things. Mm. I'm wondering. Because she knows if it doesn't stick to that, it's not going to work. We had pointed out in the beginning that it might not be a mistake, the dual identity for Zhang and White Rose. It might not just be that she identifies as a woman and that's how she presents when she can, but has to be this man in public to the rest of the world. But could that tie in in a bigger way to Elliot's multiple personalities? Are these things about parallel timelines or whatever? And I do think it could still be a factor. Why are we putting that in there if it doesn't play into the end game? So is that third person from a different time? Possibly. And that's why the... We're waiting for him. ...scene in the office doesn't make sense. Boom. We did it! Coming back for one more <laughs> second to this, to this book, Zagrus implies that his life is a meaningless waste. And so Mersault decides to kill him in order to create his own happiness with the rich man's money. So if he needs time and money, this man's got money, he's not doing anything with it. He kills him, he takes the money. Now we move into part two, titled Conscious Death, which follows Mersault's trip to Europe. He travels around, he tries all of these things that don't make him happy. He decides he needs solitude. So he buys a house in a village by the sea and moves in alone. At this hour of night, his life seemed so remote to him. He was so solitary and indifferent to everything and to himself as well that Mersault felt he had at last attained what he was seeking. The peace which filled him now was born of that patient self-abandonment he had pursued and had achieved. Later, severely ill, he dies a, quote, happy death. And stone among stones, he returned in the joy of his heart to the truth of the motionless worlds. So the first part, a man dies an actual death. And the second part, he consciously makes this decision to separate himself from the rest of the world because only time can bring him to this place of true happiness. And he's finally taken by death. He's achieved his purpose. We talked last time about how we could be seeing some sort of afterlife for the idea of two different deaths. From the book in episode one? Yeah, people talking about White Rose bringing people back. These things are somehow tying in. I just can't quite figure out how. And we've discussed the possibilities of Elliot being a robot, This episode, we brought up AI, the possibilities of the computer being AI. Maybe Elliot is an AI from that computer of a person that died who was Elliot. And when White Rose is saying, when we're done with Elliot and what we need from him, we will get rid of him, meaning shut him off. 
They so don't even have to kill him? He died. The father died. All of those consciousness consciousnesses were somehow extracted and put into either a computer or an AI. Under the Washington Township plant, which was very close to where Elliot grew up. Right. That's what that machine does. Somehow extracts consciousness from one person and is able to put it into something else. And that's what we're seeing, the result of it, because it wasn't perfect yet, and it had fragmented ideas and thoughts and kind of amalgamized, that's not a word, Mm -hmm. um, all of these. (laughs) Well, let me bring up, we watched a movie recently that worked on these premises that we didn't like. Keanu Reeves was in it, but that was the whole idea. They were taking the consciousness of real people Mm -hmm. who were about to die or just died. In order to save them, preserve that, they were putting it into an AI. Yes. Or a, it wasn't even really an AI. They were rebuilding a body, but artificially. And we saw that in Black Mirror as well. Back here to the episode, Elliot and Mr. Robot are at the funeral home. This is where Robot's worrying about the emotional toll Elliot's paying. He urges him to take a minute to process what's happening. Angela's death, his mother's death. I'm kind of an expert at observing you. All I'm saying is that you need to stop and take in your mom's death. Or it's going to eat away at you like everything else you're holding in. Here's the only thing I'm holding in. We need to take down White Rose, or we die. Darlene dies. Did your expert observation also pick up on that? I agree. That could have gone better. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) And again, Elliot comes in and asks for the cheapest everything for his mother. Just get it over with. Maybe just a moment of humor. Maybe not like him. I don't know. We know that him and Darlene both did not like their mother. But it feels almost over the top callous, everything that's going on in this episode. And I think that's for a reason. At the subway, Darlene looks at the safe deposit slip that she left behind, wondering what was in the box. She thinks it was unlike Magda to even keep one, so it must have contained something important. Now, these are several things. It's not like her to have this Walkman because she doesn't listen to music. It's not like her to have a safe deposit box. Why is she doing so many things out of character? Darlene's trying to impress the importance of this, but Elliot is busy looking at this old news article on his phone about the death of Susan Jacobs. Darlene finally snaps him out of it, saying she's always been there for him when they were kids and he needed her. Well, she needs him now. She wants him to come with her to the bank, even if he thinks it's pointless. So they go, but they find out payment lapsed two years ago. Mm. The bank's already disposed of the contents. Do you believe that? You know what? I would, knowing what we do know about the mom, but the fact that that slip was still in the mom's possession means that it meant something to her. Why wouldn't she pay this paltry fine if it was so important? So White Rose is behind the fact that there's something in that safety deposit box, maybe information about this third character or... His true identity, adoption papers, something that's going to be a bomb drop. Again, Elliot seems not really to care, so Darlene starts yelling at him, frustrated, but it's not because of their mother. It's about Angela. She wonders, how does he just move on like that? Exactly what we were saying last episode. Elliot admits he hasn't. He gives her the Walkman. We see the tape is labeled Happy Mother's Day. Again, Darlene wonders, how did their mother get this? It wasn't even meant for her. So why would she listen to it? And we're thinking, what is she talking about? 
She turns it on, starts crying, and Elliot leans in to listen. We hear three young voices, Darlene, Elliot, and Angela. They're saying, happy Mother's Day, Mrs. Moss. We love you. This is weird. Mm -hmm. I think this was more of a social information drop. Um, In my mind, it was to remind me how close he was to Angela. Because at this point, I, I almost forgot how close. Because last season, Angela was nowhere near the inner circle of Mr. Robot and Elliot. She was on her own thing going on. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that it's been a while since that season, I think it was a reminder for us and for Elliot's conscious. Growing up, they hated their mother. She was abusive. They didn't even consider her a mom. It seems like they saw Angela's mother, Mrs. Moss, as a mom. Knowing that, if I'm Magda, I don't want that tape. Mm. They're thinking maybe she was lonely and wanted to hear it. Why would she want to hear her own kids saying they love somebody else's mom? Strange. There's another reason for that. Now, Post Show Recaps, a different podcast, caught something that I didn't. The part that they're playing here, the Happy Mother's Day message, is on side B of the cassette tape. Okay. So what's on side A? Is there more important information here? And that's why she was keeping this tape. It's disguised under this innocuous title, the same way that... Elliot would hide important informations burned onto CDs and he would title them something else so Mm -hmm. that if people stumbled across it, they wouldn't be interested to listen. Magda could have been doing the same thing here. So I wanted to give them a shout out because I think that's a good theory that could be true. We don't have much more to go on with the tape, but that's one thing. The deposit box is another thing. Since we don't have any further clues about that, I Googled what are the most common items kept in a safe deposit box. When you told me this, I was like, ooh, There are 10 things. Number one, last will and testament. Number two, deeds, titles, and insurance papers, usually to a house or some other property. Number three, birth and adoption certificates, Jason. Mm -hmm. Number four, marriage and death certificates. Number five, custody agreements and divorce decrees. Number six, military service records. Seven, passports and social security cards. Eight, copies of health information, which... Maybe the identification or health information, if there's more to Elliot's identity, could be important. Number nine, contracts and legal papers. And number 10, valuable heirlooms. So we've touched on some of those. I think it's likely that it's one of those things. And it's another reaffirmation that where we're thinking might be on the right track. Now let's head into our bomb drop scenes. First, Price goes to see Minister Zhang. He tells him he is resigning as CEO of E Corp by the end of the year which also means he'll be parting from Deus Group. Zhang says that's unacceptable. His tenure will be over soon and nothing can rock the boat as the project hasn't shipped yet. I understand, but here's the thing. I don't care. Do not forget your loyalty. My loyalty has been unquestionable. Taken nearly everything from me. I'd like to leave with what little I have left. You know that in order for me to replace you as CEO, The Deus Group members must all agree on your successor in person. 
Well, perhaps a New Year's celebration will befit this fresh start. Your request is absurd. You know we can't organize a meeting within the next week. And yet I have faith you'll find a way. That is not how this fucking game is played! Game. Game, that word. There's our problem. There's an end point. There must be, eventually. And I've reached mine. Since the game is what you care about, you should be happy. You won. And as he walks out, Zhang reaches over and topples the perfectly adorned Christmas tree, the one that he just finished balancing. You had brought up that you thought your tree is unbalanced was deeper than just the tree. You are imbalanced right now. And your plan's about to be. It really messed with White Rose in that moment, right? We've never seen Zhang or White Rose react emotionally Lose like it. that. Lose, yeah. lose control. And especially when White Rose is presenting as White Rose, she can be impassioned. She can kind of have little tantrums. We've seen her in her private house. We've seen her with her former partner. But when she's presenting as Minister Zhang, it's normally very buttoned up. This is the persona that I wear in public that is 100% on the level. Christina, can I wear the F Society mask for the rest of the podcast? No, I'm freaked out (laughs) enough by all of this. Because now we get an even stranger scene. At the funeral home, Price calls Elliot and says, he's played his hand. It's done. Now they wait. Darlene realizes something's going on. She asks Elliot, why is he hacking Susan Jacobs' e-coin wallet? She also shares the truth that when Elliot was in jail and F Society needed a new base, she broke into Susan's home. And when Susan caught her, Darlene killed her. This is always a point we wonder how much does Elliot know. It seems like Elliot always has the information. It turns out that he knew Angela was Price's daughter, but he didn't know this. He's shocked. With what I remember during those episodes is that that was the first time we were seeing a divide, not necessarily emotionally or a divide like Mr. Robot and Elliot, but more like Darlene is doing her own thing. Do you remember that feeling? Yes. And clearly they didn't share. (laughs) I mean, Elliot's having this very symbolic scene while he's getting upset. The cross is in the background, really lit up. That's got to mean something, right? Well, we also talked about the power of three, three personalities. We even spoke last time about religious implications. So the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here he is in front of that. He says he needs everything she has on Susan. This is also a blow, you know, finding out about the death and everything that happened because she was the contact at Cypress National Bank. But also she was working for the Dark Army. He admits to Darlene he's going after White Rose. She thinks that's suicide. Here we get bells chiming in the background, which makes sense if they are at a funeral home or near a church, but it definitely mimics the sound of the ticking we've been hearing. Darlene says she's in on this job, whether he wants her or not. He's never pulled off a big hack without her, and they're doing it together. She ends that by rigging their phones to share GPS locations. Do you think that's going to be an important point? I'm not sure why they showed us that on screen. It's got to be, because they showed it on screen, but we don't know why yet. Darlene then says she knew Elliot was up to something, but thought it had to do with Vera. Because when he showed up a few months ago and she told Elliot, he acted like it was no big deal. 
Elliot assures her she doesn't need to worry about him, and she leaves. But after she's gone, he yells at Mr. Robot, I can't fucking trust you. Robot insists he's not the one Darlene talked to. He has no reason to keep that from Elliot. Why would he? So now Elliot's face changing, getting a little (laughs) nervous. He says, well, if it wasn't you... Dot, dot, dot. And this is when I urge you to go back and watch that scene. Mm -hmm. Christian Slater is giving these weird looks to Elliot. Like, he knows who it was. He's just not saying anything. The second time we watched it, you had me convinced, or at least tilted a little bit. But the first time we watched it, we felt this way, and one of our clatchers, Paul P., felt this way as well. When they said, if it wasn't you, it was me, I was waiting for both of them to turn to us and be like, was it you? And I think it's kind of telling that neither of them did. Because we've seen that an awful lot, Mm -hmm. and I think it implies somebody else. I'm really feeling like we are the core personality, and then there's three alters, Elliot, Mr. Robot, and this other guy. Well, maybe next episode it opens up, or at least um, maybe not opens up, but one of the scenes is them yelling at us. Why didn't you tell us? It was you the whole time? Why didn't you let us know? know? No, why didn't you tell us about the other guy? I don't think we're the other guy. Okay. I really don't. I feel you, because they would have turned to us. But I think it would be a clever maneuver to make us more important again. More important, yes. It's just how do you bring that audience in? And if we are this kind of background baseline mm-hmm. personality, that makes... Then why didn't you tell us? Yeah. It makes a ton of sense, because And Elliot's been mad at us for not telling him in the past about Mr. Robot, and it would be more impactful with it being the first time Elliot has talked to us in a while. Which is what Sam set up. Who is this guy? Both of them could be interrogating us, him and Mr. Roat. This is really bringing them together as a team now. Both staring at us. Oh, that would be amazing. This other guy is scary. We got to work together. That would be amazing. We have one more scene, the last one. The weird scene we spoke about before in the office at the E Corp building where the young boy is swiveling at the chair. And we spoke about before how the boy is questioning, are they waiting on Mr. Robot or Elliot? And the mom says, no, the other one. And they leave the room. Now, what I wanted to add to that is Sam Asmail gave an interview. Why not with us? To The Hollywood Reporter and post-show recaps. This bullshit. All right, Clatchers, (laughs) everyone write to Sam. Say you want (laughs) to hear him on the CKC podcast. Everyone's quoting this, but it's really the only place that Sam has talked about this, and he doesn't give an awful lot of information, but we have to bring it up. The very first question they asked is, the other one? What does that mean? And Esmail says, I'm obviously not going to answer that question. So they then ask, how long have you been playing with the idea that there's more to the picture than just Elliot and Mr. Robot? Esmail says, from the beginning, it's baked into the premise. This is the beginning of that big final reveal of the whole series. Honestly, it's the one where I haven't quite, you know, I go to the subreddit, I read theories and listen to podcasts. This one hasn't been predicted yet. So that's a big statement to put out there. For as many podcasts and reddits and theorizers as there are are out there, he hasn't seen it. It gave me a little, this is a selfish thought, a little like hope that he listens to us. Either that (laughs) or we're so insignificant that... He, he doesn't, doesn't even consider. know we Maybe exist. we did get it right, but he's not listening to us. Damn it! Um, so he says, it's exciting, but it's nerve-wracking. I'm curious if it does get out there, or if people do hit on it, and I think once the episode airs, the theorizing machine is going to kick in. It's one of those things where if we did our job right, it's a balance of it feeling inevitable, but also unexpected and surprising. That's what we're going for. We don't want it to be too much of a shock where it's just a gotcha gimmick type of twist moment. 
We want it to feel earned because the answer should make sense. You guys could technically figure it out because it's been in the show the whole time. We are excited to see how it plays out. It's not a new character. It's not someone we don't know about. It's not some weird person in the background that we saw twice, which is why I feel like maybe we've touched on some version of it, but the Mm -hmm. important part is going to be putting all the pieces together in the right way. Yes. And that nobody has gotten to yet. But I think that's incredibly rewarding. I like that answer. I don't know what that's going to mean. Well, that's going to wrap up the synopsis for this episode and take us to our robot rating. So Jason, on a scale of one to 10, How many robots do you give episode 402 payment required? All right, Christina, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to keep it 100. I'm going to go up a notch. I'm going to go... What? I really enjoyed it. I thought you were saying you felt the same as me, that it was great, but didn't quite hit... At first. Okay. Watching it again, I think I was thrown off by the the change in the feeling of it. Okay. But now seeing how he set it up and how much he's given us and taken away from us, I'm going 9.2. Well, I agree with you that there were moments I really liked even more than the first episode. I love the mystery of who is the other one. I actually enjoyed the exposition at the opening. But the overall feel of this is just slightly different. There's something niggling at me and I I can't quite figure it out. I still really enjoyed it. I'm just going to go a small step down and give this an 8.8. How dare you? Sam Asmo is listening right now. I was at a (laughs) 9 last time. I do still think it was very strong. And now is the time we turn to Twitter, where you can follow us, at CKC Podcast, where we ask our Clatchers after every episode, who is your MVH, most valuable hacker? The options this time were Philip Price, Darlene, Elliot, and White Rose. Coming in last place was White Rose, with 6%. Well, it looks like White Rose, this might be the beginning of her end, or we're hoping. The first time we've seen a crack in the edifice. Coming in third place with 19% was Elliot. He's still trying to figure it out. He's putting things in boxes, not safe deposit boxes, (laughs) not addressing his grief, his loss. Mr. Robot is kind of the one that continues from episode one until now to push what needs to be done in order for mental health to be achieved, to question Elliot. Are these moves smart? Are we doing the right thing? And Elliot's acting a little un-Elliot-like. We'll see why, I guess, in time. And second place with 25% is Darlene. Well, it's good to see her back in the fold. I'm actually glad because I don't think I wanted another person who just was too loopy and couldn't deal with it. Yeah, here's the thing. She was off the deep end, but she went through what Elliot did not. She worked through the grief. She came to terms with, okay, Angela really is dead. I have grieved her. Now I need questions answered about my mother. And so she's able to move on and keep moving forward. When Elliot finally hits this wall, because Mm. he hasn't done that processing, it's going to be problems. You know, that reminds me, Chris, let me just veer off for a half a second. We had a Clatcher who asked us, is this the stages of grieving? I actually think that it could make more sense, especially because there are five stages of grief. So if this is an analogy Esmail was playing with when he first thought that there would be five seasons, it fits in and they do roughly correspond. Number one is denial. So in season one, when Elliot's experiencing this sort of complete dissociation and has put everything into boxes, he's not aware of it. Number two, anger. He starts to become aware of it. He wants to do the 5-9 hack. He wants to get retribution. Number three and number four are bargaining and depression. So where he might have meant for that to play out a little bit longer, we do see that kind of running through where 
Elliot's in an institution or is he in a prison? But he's having to deal with his own mind. He's having to come face to face with Mr. Robot. They're getting into arguments with their chess game, the addiction things he's struggling with, the therapy sessions. Finally, the last stage is acceptance. So that could be what Mr. Robot is pushing Elliot towards now. You have to face all of this. We have to come to terms with it. We've got to work together. We have to integrate. I think And accept the third personality. Perhaps that would be part of it. Back to our MVH. Coming in first place with 50% is Price. Redemption. Well, we said last time we thought that he might win one soon, and he does, in fact, take episode two. And you know what, Christina? I think I agree. Look, we went so long not liking Price. And I know this doesn't change everything that he's done in the past, and he's super rich off of our backs, but he's finally seen the light And him going to White Rose in that scene was a big deal. Oh, he's signing his own death warrant. At least for this episode, unless with what you brought up, he's still not telling Elliot the important thing. Uh, I, I say this episode, he's MVH. I agree with you. There could be more that he's not saying. I think that there is a time clock on Price now. So who knows how much more we'll get to see of him in the future in case we don't. That was an amazing move. Maybe the only one he could have done to upset White Rose. Price fighting on the side of the good guys for once. He's going to be my MBH as well. But let's see what our Clatchers had to say. Well, Melly is talking about the fact that there were four seats at the table. So she's questioning if there are two more entities. We mentioned that our thought was the little boy is somebody. Whether it's young boy Elliot that seems unlikely or some other kid the core personality, whatever's going on there. But I I do think that the other one is a third altar. Not to mention that this all might be in his mind. There's so many possibilities. She's also happy that Darlene is back in the team and working with Elliot. Kirk says he voted for Price because he rightly earned it. But I love, love, love Darlene. She does serve as Elliot's truest friend and moral compass. He also wonders, could she be the mystery personality? Warren says, really enjoyed the siblings coming together again in this episode. It was great to see, but these cliffhangers are killing me. I need to know who it is. Like, I need to know it now. I was concerned when they started fighting again. I was like, no, no, no. We've done the divide. I don't want that. I want to see them work together. Well, they are. I mean, Elliot's getting upset with him, but they talk it out. Yes. You know, Warren also thinks that Leon would be fun as the third altar. But what if it's White Rose, which you... Kind of jokingly said last time. I don't think that could be an alter personality, but if we're talking about somebody else being in charge. And Millie brings up that Esmail said it's someone who's been there all the time. So White Rose is unlikely in this case. And over on Facebook, Paul said, My mind has been blown since the ending scene. I cannot wait for your podcast on Friday. And you guys were right about the third personality. Two things. Did you notice how Elliot was facing the cross when he screamed out, Jesus fucking Christ, after learning about Susan Jacobs in the funeral home? And the second thing we already talked about, about um, him agreeing that he thought Elliot and Mr. Robot were going to turn to us and say, was it you? James wrote in with a lot of good comments, some of which we've already talked about. He's wondering why Elliot didn't care about what's in the safe deposit box. In spite of everything, he should have at least been a little curious It seems odd that he wouldn't want to know, considering his relationship actually seemed to be a little bit better than that of Darlene's with her. Or even just in general, how could you not be curious? He also said if the episode titles follow that HTTP code format and 404 is not found, could whatever's in the safe deposit box be that missing file? 
Nice. The bank clerk said it was destroyed, but do we believe him? No. It could contain a reveal of some sort. Kind of reminded me of the safe in Inception, where the person's secrets are manifested as physical uh, as a physical safe in their dream. I like it. Also, what if it could actually be adoption papers, he says. And finally, is Magda actually dead? And we're going to keep doing this. We did this with Angela. The fact that we're never shown her body, that we see this younger incarnation in the ending scene with Elliot. And James also a little upset that they glossed over the Elliot having an OD last time. Andrew wrote in to say, I rewatched episode one and the very first conversation with Mr. Robot and Elliot is so good. He says Elliot needs to be broken out. Is season four finally Elliot being broken out by Mr. Robot? So all good questions. If you guys have further thoughts, please feel free to tweet at us or write in contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. Or there is always the voicemail. We're going to keep pushing that is this it seems like people are too intimidated to call in but please don't be worried jason can edit it so that you sound great the number is ckc.6606 that's 252-368-6606 we want to thank you for all the participation it's really great to have these comments start to flow in again we need some other ideas and theorizing going on here besides just jason and myself so that is also appreciated but another way that you could really help us out is to leave us a review on itunes This helps us to get found easier when people are searching for Mr. Robot Podcast. Hopefully ours will come up quicker and we can have an even larger conversation going on here for our final season of Mr. Robot. So I know that we have several channels. We have the main one for Coffee Clatch Crew, but we are talking about the Mr. Robot specific channel. It doesn't have to be anything lengthy, but if you are enjoying the show and what you're hearing, please head on over there and write a few words. And if you want to hear more from us, in regards to life, other shows, fun facts about ghost stories, post-apocalyptic tales, movie reviews. Join us over at Patreon. Just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com and click on Patreon to join that. And keep an eye on coffeeclatchcrew.com because we have some free Mr. Robot wallpapers coming at you. That's going to do it for this episode, except for our closer look spoiler section. So if you are afraid of those spoilers, we will see you next time when we review episode 403. For those of you still here, there's not a lot because we covered the who is the other one thing up top. But in continuing along with those HTTP codes, a few things. We started at 401 last time when we described the episode titles because we were looking at what it could mean for this season, 401 through 413. There are more than that, however. It starts with 400, which is bad requests. The server cannot or will not process the request due to an apparent client error. So size too large, invalid request message. I thought this was interesting. I never take notice of this, but I went to log on to a site the other day and I got a 400 bad request. Invalid due to malformed syntax or invalid data? And it wasn't true. They let me log on anyway, but... (laughs) That got me thinking about what are the other ones past 413, because I never looked. Get this, 418, I'm a teapot. The code was defined in 1998 as one of the traditional April Fool's jokes. Hypertext coffee pot control protocol. Coffee pot. Is not expected to be implemented by actual HTTP servers. The RFC specifies this code should be returned by teapots requested to brew coffee. So it's invalid if you're asking a teapot to brew coffee, in other words. (laughs) But I love that. Their very own Easter egg, which which was included in a bunch of websites, including Google. But another cool one that I kind of wish we would see, 451 unavailable for legal reasons. 
This is where a server operator has received a legal demand to deny access to a resource. The code 451 was chosen as a reference to the novel Fahrenheit 451. Ooh. So that's really interesting. That's a hot topic. (laughs) But we also got a preview for our next 403 Forbidden, an ominous title. A certain character seems to be coming back into play. Vera says, I don't want Elliot to be my prisoner. I want him to be my partner. Hmm. What does that mean? He wants in on this game? I don't know. I'm very curious. And is Vera more in cahoots with the third personality? The third alter. Maybe when he came three months ago and Darlene was like, what is he doing here? He went and found the other guy. Exactly. And that's why... He seemed to not care about the fact that Vera was back. Yeah, because he could even be working with him. That's insane. Insane. We also hear Darlene saying Olivia Cortez is their way in. They need physical access to the laptop. Now, that's somebody new, right? The Mm -hmm. image that's on the screen and the name Olivia, we've never heard that before. I don't believe so. And if we have, we will be chastised. (laughs) We'll know about it. Finally, White Rose says they will force them into a mistake. And in the background, we see this vase of white roses that has blood sprayed across it. Symbolism. It's got to be. Is the time coming for her? I don't know. Well, what an episode. We have covered all bases, I believe. <laughs> Hopefully. We're excited for Sunday's episode, and we're excited to hear from you guys on our social networks. So till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.